The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now, here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis. Well, good morning to all of you out there, and welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. And, of course, I am your host, Nora Gedgaudis, broadcasting to you here this sunny spring day from Portland, Oregon, and I could not be more pleased to be here today. In just a few moments, I'm going to be welcoming back my esteemed colleague and a favorite for this show and also veteran guest to this show, Colleen Dunseth from the Nutritional Therapy Association. But today we're going to be talking about the subject of type 1 diabetes, what it is, who gets it, and why or how. And what can be done uh, to manage this increasingly common condition, particularly uh, for the, from the standpoint of diet and supplementation or nutrition, which is something that doesn't get talked about too often in conventional circles. Now, I've been hearing increasingly from individuals uh, all over the place, actually, who've, who've read my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, who have type 1 diabetes, who have exceptional stories to tell about the impact of that, the diet that I talk about in my book on their condition. Now, the interesting thing about this, of course, is that I really don't talk about type 1 diabetes in my book specifically. But then again, anything a person can do to improve you know, their foundational support by minimizing the intake of sugar and starch from all sources, and then moderating protein, and then satisfying your appetite with you know, with natural fat, seems to have an extremely broadly positive effect on the way people everywhere are feeling and functioning. I get about 120 emails a day from people all over the place, and it's it's actually it's it's <laughs> it's all sort of snowballing, and it's 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 a little overwhelming, but it's it's so exciting. Um, now, one such person wrote me uh, with the news that they really greatly decreased their need for insulin. Uh, this is a type 1 diabetic, um, and he greatly de- decreased his need for insulin, but he was also almost overwhelmed with how much his mental outlook has improved. Um, I have a quote from him here. He says, I am more alert, not as anxious or depressed. I feel more optimistic. So in general, my mood and stress levels are improving greatly, all because of the dietary changes that I've made thanks to your book. It's amazing how much diet influences how you operate and feel, unquote. How cool is that? I never get tired of hearing these stories. Well, later on in the show, we're going to be joined by another and rather profound success story. and Her name is Dana, and she has some rather dramatic changes in her type 1 diabetes status to tell you about. She's going to be calling in in just a little while uh, for the second half of this show. 
But now before I go any further here, I'd like to offer a disclaimer to all of you that nothing we discuss here on the show should be construed ever as any sort of medical advice whatsoever. Nothing said here is meant to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any medical condition. So if you do have a medical condition of any kind, I strongly encourage you to seek out and consult with your trusted, licensed medical health care provider, okay? Okay. So moving right along, Colleen Dunseth is a is a board member and educator for the Nutritional Therapy Association. She is a sought-after and very well-respected certified nutritional therapy practitioner, colon hydrotherapist, and is an exceptional nutritional therapy instructor, the best there is as far as I'm concerned, and I, I sincerely mean that. Now, I am both pleased and honored to welcome my colleague, evil twin and dear friend, Colleen, to this show. Welcome, Colleen. Oh, Nora, thank you so much. I am, as always, honored to be here. Ah, well, you know, likewise, likewise to have you here. So why don't we just come out with it right now? Um, now, you yourself have type 1 diabetes, isn't that right? Yes, I do. So what's the story behind that? How long have you had it, and when or how did you find out about that? I, I think I was diagnosed... Uh, when I was 33, which is just about, you know, two years from now, <laughs> a number of years ago now, and um, I had a, a very... Oh, you look in- half that age, but anyway. Yeah, right, I'm just kidding, yeah. 33, I'm now 48, so um, typically, you know, type 1 diabetes diagnoses happen in, in children. Right. It's one of its other names, juvenile onset diabetes. Well, that's changed you know, that's changed quite a bit in, in recent years. But for me, um, I was on, actually, I was, a, you know, I had been a competitive athlete all my, most of my adult life. I thought I ate fairly well, but of course I didn't. And, um, you know, I... I oh, as an athlete, I'm sure you were the sucker to the loading. carb loading. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, I was on, uh, I was on a, a bike trip, a three-month bike trip in New Zealand when I first had a massive blood sugar drop that I could not recover from for several hours, no matter what I ate, no matter what I did. And that was sort of some of the, the first symptoms. And then uh, returning from that trip, um, I had some, some lifestyle stressors. My dad passed away. And um, within literally three to four months, I was having major symptoms of Massive thirst, massive frequent, you know, constantly urinating, um, huge weight loss within the year. I probably lost 15 pounds. Um, and just the, the ever-increasing sort of um, situation, because really what's going on with type 1 diabetes is your, your body's metabolizing itself. You've lost the production of your storage hormone, which is insulin. You yeah. no longer can produce insulin. So... No matter what you eat, no matter what you do, it's really the, the effectiveness of that of those uh, nutrients are severely reduced because you can't store it. So, um, so at any rate, I, I finally a friend of mine finally who was a nurse finally said, "Hey, she saw it and uh, checked my blood sugars." And rather than being in that you know average healthy range of between eight, uh, eighty and one hundred milligrams per deciliter of glucose in my bloodstream, I was up above four hundred and fifty. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Right. So that sort of that sort of started that journey. <clears throat> wow. Wow, wow, wow. So so the conventional wisdom, of course, that type one diabetes is an autoimmune disorder for which there's quite a bit of evidence. But when you and I last talked, you mentioned some conflicting theories in that regard. What's the scoop on that? Yeah, I'm not really sure I would say they're conflicting theories, but it seems as though, you know, typical typical conventional wisdom likes to use diagnoses. And diagnoses, I think you and I would agree, are simply just little buckets that we throw symptoms into, and we have enough similar symptoms and we can call it something. Um, which is, you know, true for, say, you know, juvenile onset diabetes. Well, now we're seeing people get the, this condition where the, the cells in the pancreas that actually produce insulin are no longer uh, working for some reason. So we're not getting insulin. So for there are, um, basically we, they've, actually the conventional wisdom about autoimmune is fairly recent. They've sort of, you know, pinpointed that. So we're seeing people actually show up with this condition now at all ages. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we, you know, didn't diagnose it before. That's part of it. The diagnostic techniques have improved. For example, we can use something called the C-peptide test to determine whether the, the um, beta cells of the pancreas are actually producing insulin or whether we've got an issue of insulin resistance as in type 2 because sometimes there is a crossover as in a sort of a newer um, diagnosis of latent onset type 1 diabetes where people are picking it up more after the age of 25, but they tend to have insulin resistance first. Uh-huh. And then the other issue, the type 1 that we all know and, and are more familiar with, tends to be a sudden onset situation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So rather than that, so that's why we can differentiate between a lifestyle situation as in type 2 and this sort of autoimmune response. Well, a couple of years ago, so of course there are tests for all types of different antibodies to different tissues, and and we can go um, to an immune um, panel and use the immune panel to make some determination about what may be going on there. For example, uh, people may have an autoimmune response to mercury mm-hmm. that's actually affecting their immune system, and it's going to show up somewhere um, as an autoimmune disease to an organ or system in, in the body to be determined basically from what scientists know from genetic predispositions, you know, familial, congenital sort of weaknesses. Right. We're only as strong as our weakest link, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. But a couple of years ago, there was a, a research group um, in Canada who was trying to, they were trying to repeat an accidental, uh, an experiment that they were doing with something else, and they had some accidental results with um, the regeneration of the pancreatic cells in mice. And basically... Um, in 1999, Dr. there's a fellow named Dr. Dosh, a Canadian physician, found that there were surprising similarities between diabetes and MS, which is a central nervous system disease. And his interest was also piqued by the presence around the insulin-producing islet cells or the beta cells of the pancreas of a large number of nerves, pain neurons, um, 
but primarily used to signal the brain that the tissue was damaged. So what, what they ended up doing was injecting these pain neurons with a substance called capsaicin, which is derived from chili peppers. Most of you, um, capsicum is another another term for, yeah, for that. pepper. And, yeah, yeah right. for the pepper. Yeah. At any rate, um, what happened was shocking. Overnight, the mice were producing insulin again. And then by actually taking the neuropeptide, which they called substance P, which was missing from those tissues and injecting that, they completely regenerated function. And, um, you know, up to three and four months later, they were still producing, you know, healthy, normal amounts of insulin. Wow. Wow. So, you know, unfortunately, I've seen very little since then. You know, I wanted to run out and buy capsaicin and put it in my little, you know, insulin syringes and try to find my pancreas. (laughs) But, you know, I imagine that, you know, they'll have to prove this now in in human human applications. And then, of course, I bet the pharmaceutical companies may have first dibs on this information, but you never know. Right. What's driving that whole procedure you you know that might be something that you and your work and your amazing knowledge around the brain and the nervous system may know a little bit more about well so it's it's really what what is that issue is unfortunately you know you're going to have to get in and get some some testing done and um, if you want to know that and i think it's important because if you don't have an autoimmune condition and you're concentrating, as I think we'll get to here in a little while, some of the nutritional and dietary support to help support immune function and um, and sort of bring some of these immune responses, elevated immune responses, down into sort of you know what some people call a remission phase. Then you're going to want to know what's driving your condition. Absolutely, wasting your time, but it, it makes a huge difference in terms of how you approach this sort of a thing and everything is sort of gets lumped together and treated a certain way but but um, what you supplement with whatever is going to make a very big difference um, knowing whether you're autoimmune or not no question well we have to go to our first commercial break but everybody please stick around because I'm telling you this this show is going to blow you away so we're talking with Colleen Dunseth from the Nutritional Therapy Association I am Nora Gadgaudis, your host, and you are listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Please stick around. We'll be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC Science Consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. 
Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to the show. We are talking today uh, with Colleen Dunseth from the Nutritional Therapy Association, my favorite nutritional educational uh, organization. And we're talking about type 1 diabetes. And now Colleen herself is actually an extremely knowledgeable type 1 diabetic herself. And we were talking about uh, what type 1 diabetes is. And I wanted to get into asking you about what the suspected etiology or cause of type 1 diabetes is. And, and how is it also different from the other form of diabetes people are perhaps more familiar with, which is mainly type 2. Wow, those are two gigantic. Uh, yeah, why don't I right. first, Just, you know, in, in one first sentence, of all, you know. first of all, the difference uh, is this, and that is, a, a, you know, this is a pretty big uh, differentiation here. So, because I think the word diabetes, you know, comes from sh- you know sugar, high sugar, which translates for us high glucose levels, glucose, sugar are interchangeable in general. Of course, biochemically, we've got different types of sugar, right. glucose being one of them. But the usable form of, of sugar in the body as fuel is in the form of, of glucose. So when somebody's a type 1 or type 2 diabetic, the, the general thing in common is that we have high glucose levels. Right. But the etiology and how it all, the reasons for the high glucose levels are, are very, very different. In fact, they're the opposite in many cases. So in a type 1 diabetic, there is a, a type of a, a process, disease process, that prevents the pancreatic beta cells in, in, in the pancreas, which are the insulin-producing cells, insulin being a major, major hormone, hormone of storage, um, from basically... Um, Basically, it, the beta cells are unable to maintain the production of insulin. In type 2 diabetes, the beta cells are producing plenty of insulin. Everything is, is fine in that respect, in fact. But what happens is, is they end at up... At least for a while. Set, pardon me? Or at least for a while. Right. 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 One Sorry. can lead to the other in the long run. But type 2, we're producing too much insulin due to the stresses of a diet high in carbohydrate, which has the direct, requires the direct action of insulin. 
And what happens, the insulin actually carries the sugar out of the bloodstream, the glucose. It takes it into cells for energy production. It takes it to the liver for a little bit of storage. It takes it to the muscle for a little bit of storage, and the rest is stored in the form of triglycerides, which are fat. In the case of, but the body, as many of you know, who have, you know, had the wonderful honor of, of being able to read Nora's book, know that the body, you know, can only use so much glucose. And with our high-carbohydrate diets today, we um, unfortunately are inundating our bloodstream with excess amounts of glucose, which then has requirements from the pancreas of excess amounts of insulin. And because hormones such as insulin, all the hormones in the body are very extremely powerful in small amounts. Their message is given in tiny little billionths and trillionths of a gram is all we need as opposed to the hundreds and thousands of a gram that we have most of our other nutrients um, in the body in terms of their function. So when we get excess amounts of insulin trying to respond to the excess glucose, the receptor sites that actually translate insulin's message to, to clear the bloodstream will actually become desensitized. Just like um, if you've ever been at work or you're at home and you live with someone or work with someone who is an incessant nag or talk, they talk, 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 what do you do? You downregulate, right? You just stop listening. The receptor sites... That's usually my plan, yeah. Yeah, it works pretty well for me. <laughs> Until I'm asked to repeat what was just said. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, uh, so what we have here is the downregulation or desensitization of the insulin message, and what's happening then is that we are not getting the glucose cleared from the bloodstream appropriately, a.k.a. high glucose levels. So type 2 diabetes is high glucose levels out of range, in combination with high insulin levels, a very, very, very deleterious combination, as Nora goes into in her book very nicely. And in type 1 diabetes, we have excess high glucose levels and little to no insulin production. Basically. And so, so how is type 1 diabetes conventionally treated? Well... Conventionally treated is, is with insulin. Right. So, and we, we get, you know, coming from when I was first diagnosed, I was sent by my doctor to uh, see the registered dietitian. First of all, what they do is they give you some oral medication, which will basically, it's like whipping the dead horse. It'll beat your pancreas for every last ounce of insulin production it can get out of it so that you can stay off of insulin injections for sometimes up to two or three months longer. Brilliant, brilliant <laughs> clinical. Let's just completely wear it out. Exactly. Now with but no then we've hope. Got <laughs> we've got gotcha. Sent me to the registered dietitian, and I walked out. I just walked out. This was even before I was, you know, really involved in, in this type of nutrition. I, I knew I had this horrible feeling. I looked around me. I thought, if I stay here, I am going to die. So anyway, um, I, I did want to just make a little bit of a, I did want to address the a second part of your first question. Oh, yeah. Which was how, you know, how, how does type 1 diabetes come, come across? Oh, sure. Okay. So because most of it is, is now sort of thought to be autoimmune, and I, I think that is true in general, 
from just the sheer numbers, the, the existence of the antibodies. It's it's like it's an auto. The, the big deal here is it's an autoimmune situation, an autoimmune condition. It's a it's a disease or an imbalance of the immune system. And as in any autoimmune disease, we never really know what, how it will be, which system will be affected. I mean, autoimmune basically means that the body's immune system, the great protector of the thing that keeps us waking up every morning in one piece instead of a little heap with ants crawling all over us, <laughs> is, is not reacting properly. And then instead of just destroying invaders, and substances that should not be in the body, such as, you know, things like viruses and bacteria and parasites, for example. We're actually destroying our own tissue. So it's the inability of the body to either recognize self or there are certain aspects of the immune system, which is a fabulously intricate and complex system, to be able to necessarily properly regulate or turn off um, basically, the immune, the immune, the, the immune response. Right. So, first of all, what we have conditions like MS, um, Hashimoto's, you know, hypothyroiditis, and then also Graves' disease, things like that, rheumatoid and osteoarthritis, lupus, uh, Crohn's disease, the litany, the, the page of lists of autoimmune diseases now just is getting longer and longer. And basically how we determine an autoimmune disease or condition is the presence of antibodies to certain tissues. Right. And um, the etiology of autoimmune, or, you know, is something that, you know, we could de- literally devote an entire show to. And I know it's been everything from vitamin D deficiencies to uh, food sensitivity issues, uh, gluten sensitivity, celiac disease, uh, other food sensitivities, uh, um, heavy metal toxicities, and on and on and on, of estrogens, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Yeah, basically, you know, I would say that for, for your listeners who are interested in probably the most comprehensive explanation of the autoimmune response and a very concise, you know, short explanation of the actual immune response and what happens, I found, is found in Dr. Jatis Karazian's new book, Why Do I Have, Still Have Thyroid Symptoms When My Lab Tests Are Normal. Yes. Yeah, that is, it is an yeah. extraordinarily well versed, even though we're not talking about thyroid today. Correct. So Correct. autoimmune is autoimmune. Correct. Basically. Now, yeah. one thing, one thing that I want to try to squeeze in because we have like two minutes before break is I want to ask you, what is ketoacidosis, and what are the problems and dangers associated with that? And, of course, this gets confused all the time with ketosis, which, of course, isn't bad at all and is not anywhere near the same thing. I mean, low-carb does not necessarily automatically generate a state or condition of ketoacidosis, does it? No, it does not. The, I, I would say, with the research I've done on this, and I have to tell you, and I think you know this as well, trying to find in, an, in a physiology book even, Trying to find the explanation of, of the process of ketosis is nearly impossible. But what I've been able to ascertain is basically um, ketones are produced in gluconeogenesis, which is basically the breakdown of fatty acids into the sugar molecule or glycerol and then three chains of fat or three molecules of fat. So this is a triglyceride. So the body needs some energy. It'll break it down. It'll use the fat 
to to run the energy pathways. And then, of course, we you know there are some tissues that do use glucose specifically instead of the fatty acids. A byproduct of the breakdown of these triglycerides are ketones. Ketones are fat are lipid soluble fat substances that can be used directly and quickly for energy specifically by some of the, the few tissues in the body that do well with glucose as opposed to fatty acids. So it's interchangeable with glucose. So our, you know, our, our ancient, our ancestors, we didn't have these high levels or, of carbohydrate and, and these um, sources of glucose in our diets. We ran on ketones mainly. So the, the ketone, that is the state that has been compared with starvation versus low-carb diets. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, You're okay, right, come yeah. on. So in the case now, and the other thing to understand is, in, uh, is where insulin comes into this. Insulin is a storage hormone. So as long as we can store fat and use it, these are how our, I mean, this is how our ancestors, the ones who are our personal ancestors survived, is they got really good at fat storage and that feast and famine life. In the case of ketoacidosis, the, the ketones have, a, have an acidic component, and when they're produced in great volumes, they create a, a great excess of acid in the system. And in a person without insulin, we cannot get glucose into the cells for energy. We can't store fat properly to use energy. So the body goes into this massive stress response, I'm starving to death. So... With no insulin, we have the glucagon, which is the opposing use fat, burn fat hormone message. We start burning fat both as a, as a response to our survival, but also as our, our, you know, innate biochemical etiology to, that says I don't have insulin to oppose the glucagon. So we're burning and converting to ketones at a much higher rate. So we're dumping these excess ketones into the system by virtue of the fact that we don't have insulin to, to yeah. monitor the glucagon and the whole process. So the body, basically, you can think of the body as feverishly trying to fuel itself, but it can't get the fuel into the cells, and it can't store fuel that it needs, you know, for day-to-day processes. Great explanation. Yeah, it's a bit of an emergency situation, but also quite rare from what I understand. Yes, and really it's basically, you basically only see it in these cases of type 1 diabetes, and sometimes you'll also see it with, a, with pituitary tumors. Right. Or, or Graves' disease, severe oh. high metabolism where the body okay. can't keep up, can't get the fuel fast enough into the tissues, and it just burns oh. it up explanation and I hope people got that because I get that question all of the time but we have to go to a break here we're actually running a little overtime on that and so what uh, we'll do is we're going to go to a quick break and we will be back in just a minute we're talking with Colleen Dunseth from the Nutritional Therapy Association and we will also have uh, we also have a special guest calling us here from Michigan to talk to us all about her experience with type 1 diabetes. My name is Nora Gedgaudis. You are listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and we will be back in just a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended. A jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Welcome back to the show. We're talking today about type 1 diabetes, and we have with us Colleen Dunseth from the Nutritional Therapy Association, also a type 1 uh, diabetic and on the line with us now um, also is Dana from somewhere in Michigan. I'm not exactly sure where, but Dana, now 23, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 8. And after reading my book and uh, Primal Body, Primal Mind, and applying the basic dietary principles, Dana is now using such a low dose of insulin, according to her mom, that she's trying to find an insulin dilution solution because she wants to dose in half units, which apparently this is stumping pharmacists all over town who have never heard of doing this, not even in diabetic infants. But before I go and tell you her whole story here, I'd like to let Dana tell you all in her own words what a diet very low in carbohydrates, moderate in protein, and high in fats can do. Welcome, Dana. Hello, Nora. It's uh, it's a wonderful uh, wonderful thing to be on the show. Ah, um, it is completely wonderful to have you here, and I'm really so glad you could be with us today. Oh, thank you. So, so tell me, um, tell me about your journey 
uh, with type 1 diabetes, just, you know, kind of briefly? Um, well, I was diagnosed when I was 8 years old, so really almost too young to remember. Um, I can't really remember ever eating and not having to get an insulin shot for it. It's uh, been a big part of my life. Um, so I spent I spent a long time um, just on a normal diet, taking insulin as my uh, as my doctors recommended, and my mother was very careful to limit my my sugar intake, but not necessarily carbohydrate, which I think was uh, very beneficial for me then. But I've learned a lot of things over the years, and about the past four or five years, I've followed a low carb diet, and it's only been in the last six months or year or so that I've really been committed to the, the very high-fat, moderate-protein um, and zero-carb, truly, diet that everything's just changed for me. So it was about, um, you know, you said about six months ago or whatever that you that you read my book. Mm-hmm. I was just curious as to how soon after you changed your diet did you start noticing some, some real changes? Um, almost immediately. When I... I spent a long time on a high-protein diet, which was much better than the high-carb diet, and I felt a lot better, but I didn't realize how good I could really feel. I don't think I've ever felt this good in my life, truly, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. being on this this diet that you recommend. Um, it's It's been an absolutely life-changing experience. You know, I think what's so profound I mean, regarding your sort of testimonial in this regard is that it's not just some placebo effect or, gee, I feel better kind of thing, but your results are really medically tangible in, in very real numbers. They really are. Um, my glycosylated hemoglobin is just, it's better than it's ever been. Well, it's yeah. better than most people's. What yeah. is it, like 5.6? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, I mean, that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean that's yeah. that's really on the that's on the edge of almost you know almost optimal. Abnormal, yes. That's what I'm aiming for. Better than normal. Right, right. And yeah, um, I'm looking at your um, looking at your actually being able to maintain your blood glucose levels in the ranges that you are is is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, that is just amazing. So. You know, you've made a change to your diet. Well, for one thing, I'm, I'm, I want to hear from you exactly if you, if you can describe what the diet you're eating looks like for you. Um, it changes a little from day to day, but it stays pretty constant. I have uh, I have a good supply of grass-fed meat from a local farm that I prepare each week, and um, I put that into my diet, and I try to maintain the 20% protein. 80% fat, so I have little bits of uh, typically a small amount of protein meat with each meal, and then all the rest of that I fill in with um, grass-fed dairy and grass-fed cheese, mostly heavy cream, sour cream, full fat, anything, everything cooked in tallow or coconut oil, um, just lots and lots and lots of fat. <laughs> Yeah, I, I seem to remember, you know, reading an email from you. So you, you, you figure it's probably about an 80-20 ratio of, you know, about 80% fat that you're eating and maybe 20% protein. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. Um, so, um, you know, you've made, of course, a change to your diet and lifestyle that would seem, you know, to some people that may be listening here like a difficult one. 
Uh, how did you find the self-discipline to really do this and not, not just do this, but stick with it so consistently? It was certainly a very gradual change. I didn't go from a normal diet to this diet overnight, and I think that probably would have caused a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, in, a, in the transition, and I know people, a lot of people feel strange eating a lot of fat when they're not used to it and have, uh, have a lot of trouble with that. But um, I think no, knowing that my diet had to be different for so many years really helped me along. And um, I don't know, the transition just seemed natural at the point I was at with already doing low-carb but having some problems with it. Right. Um, transitioning into the high fat and really embracing the idea that saturated fats were very good for me and the key to controlling my blood sugar um, really helped. And another thing that helped was learning to make absolutely delicious meals using um, using this philosophy. You know, I have to. I I, I don't. I, I can't think of one single instance where I felt where I have felt deprived. You know, obviously I'm biased because I wrote this thing, but um, um, I don't know too many people that complain about the way they get to eat. I know, absolutely. It's It makes it um, not even an issue. It's not even a temptation to eat breads or sweets or any uh, any grain products after eating like this for so long and just tasting the quality of the food that you're eating. It's like, Putting glue into your mouth, or some something else that's not even food. Right. When you when you try to eat grains or try to even taste them, you can't you can't taste any goodness in it after a while. <laughs> the cellular yum yum yum. <laughs> the genetics. That exactly. Stuff. That exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so you so you know you're finding it pretty easy to stick with this, and you know, um, and yeah. uh, you know you, you obviously like the way you eat. Uh, what advice would you give to other people out there regarding this diet and lifestyle and, and, and how you stick with it? Um, definitely make sure you have a, a good supply of what you want to eat. Um, to to have, a, have quality sources, like go out and find, find a local farm or even find at your local grocery store a good source of high-quality Protein, something that's maintainable, something that you can uh, you can keep getting, um, and I'm not sure what else. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it tends to become kind of a self-maintaining thing once you get into the flow of of eating differently, and your body adapts to really using fat as its main source of fuel. You kind of stop craving the carbohydrates. It certainly is, and it, it is tempting. Um, when you're transitioning, mm-hmm. and you still you still get that sugar rush when even you have some fruit or some small things that would you'd think would be allowed on the diet, um, and it is it's definitely a challenge to get over that. But I think just knowing and having that being armed with that knowledge that it's it's not good for you, and you, there are other alternatives that you can eat that are so much better and will especially for diabetics, will not create any hiccups in your uh, in your blood sugar regulation. Yeah, yeah. I really, I my experience with my transition is, is so, so, so similar to yours, Dana. Um, mm-hmm. And my big aha was I was eating way too much protein. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we know from Nora's book is that that protein is converted to sugar. So even when we get low, you know, hypoglycemia episodes, the body goes to convert protein to sugar because that's what it's comfortable with. I mean, it all makes sense with all the, the physiology that goes with it, that mm-hmm. once you make the leap, get your digestion supported, and you can get the get the starches out, both both physiologically and symptom you know symptom wise the, the cravings do go away because now you are truly not using glucose so your mm-hmm. body will then be able to remember how to use fat again because truly the body you know forgets how to use fat when you're firing the glucose and that whole you know high protein diet that was um, substituted for the high carb diet um, was like you said it was better but we still have that, the physiology of the mTOR pathway. And when the body gets used to doing something like burning sugar, it gets good at it, it's doing yep. it, and it's slow to change. You know, I think the high-protein uh, dietary uh, thing is actually one reason why uh, Atkins' program sometimes fails with people. Um, Just in the long run. Yeah, you know, in, in the long run. Um, but that's a whole other subject <laughs> for discussion. Yeah. We have to go to another break here, so people, please stick around. We have Colleen Dunsett from the Nutritional Therapy Association, and we have Dana calling us from Michigan talking about type 1 diabetes today. My name is Nora Gadgaudis. You're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and we will be back in just a minute. And I'm- Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC Science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to the show. And we have two wonderful people on the line with us today. This is Colleen Dunseth from the Nutritional Therapy Association. And we have a, a wonderful young woman from from Michigan uh, named Dana, who's also a type 1 diabetic, who's sharing her story with us. And, you know, I can imagine um, that, uh, you know, Dana, your doctor probably isn't too crazy about this whole thing. And I know that um, because this is so in the so opposite what uh, typically dietitians, uh, registered dietitians, are going to, going to be telling you in terms of how to eat for, for type 1 diabetic diet. I know, Colleen, you have uh, some... Something too you wanted to uh, a little blurb you wanted to share uh, about all this. Yeah. Well, first of all, please. Um, you know, I think most people that are online know that this is not just a fabulous diet for a type one diabetic. It's a fabulous diet to to be as healthy as you can, and which of course explains why type one diabetes is, or and any all the diabetes are. You know diseases or conditions of, you know, modern times. But I was um I was I was going through, you know, over the years as I am counseling people I work with or that, you know, clients that come in and teaching classes and going through what sort of the conventional dietary wisdom is for people with diabetes and I I picked up a, a book called The Essential Diabetes Guide 2010 from the Mayo Clinic. And I, I saw something that I've seen repeated over and over again in these sort of magazines that are specific for diabetics. Typically have pies fact, and cakes on the covers of them. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, everywhere are, are, is the starch and the sugars. So, the, you know, the quote here, the, the topic of this whole discussion here in the magazine is called The Scoop on Sugar. For years, people with diabetes were warned to avoid sweets, but what we researchers understand about diabetes nutrition has changed and so has the advice on sweets and I, the food I'm going to tell you that a fellow by the name of Dr. Elliot Joslin back in the late 1800s had the Joslin Institute which is still in existence today as the premier, at, on the Harvard campus is the premier diabetes you know, center and his premises what he found is he was working before insulin was available. He was treating diabetic, type 1 diabetics with low, low, super low carb diets, exercise, low, low calorie intakes, of course, because they didn't have any insulin. Um, and that was the original, um, they, he was getting the results no one else was. So somewhere along the line, now I went online and looked at the Joslin Institute's dietary recommendations and they're almost the same as what they're saying here. Oh. Um, yeah, so they when you go on there, it's it'll tell his story, but it doesn't tell what his original therapy was. Yeah. But you can find you can find it. So, it was once assumed that honey, candy and other sweets would raise your blood sugar level faster and higher than fruits, vegetables or foods containing complex carbohydrates, aka fiber. But many studies have shown this isn't true. As long as the sweets are eaten with a meal and balanced with other foods in your meal plan. Although different types of sweets can affect your blood sugar. So what what this translates to is now that really complex carbs don't 
you know, give you the blood sugar rise that's so different from sugar, you can eat them both. <laughs> Rather than you shouldn't eat either of them. Yeah, exactly. Right? Oh, it, that's it's, it's conventional wisdom. You know, I mean, it, it's it's it, so clearly, you know, the problem in type 1 diabetes is complete lack of sufficient insulin, you know, due to the destruction of the beta cells in the pancreas and all of that. So it's standard reason that anything that would minimize your need or demand for insulin would be a good thing, namely, you know, eliminating um, or limiting or eliminating you know, dietary sugar starch, right? And, and why on earth would conventional medicine be resistant to the idea of limiting or even eliminating carbohydrate intake, except, of course, through the influence perhaps of the food industry? Well, exactly. And even in type 2 diabetes, the way the repair mechanism, the issue there is excess insulin. And the only way to buffer that is to reduce the need for it, which means get that stuff out. Yeah, hallelujah to that. So, Dana, tell me real quick here, because we have just like a minute left. Um, How does your family or other people around you really respond uh, to your way of eating? Um, That's very strangely. It's... uh... They're usually very worried about us for eating so much saturated fat, you know, right. worried about our health and our, our hearts. and um, Right, because know, of the conventional dogmas about all of this, the taboos around dietary exactly. fat. But I think they also notice how very healthy all four of us are. Yeah. And not all four of us being and you and the rest of your family? Hmm? All, all four of us being you and the rest of your family? Yes, exactly. Right. And we don't take any, for the most part, no medications. We're not on any drugs. We're all very happy and outgoing and active, and we just don't have all the problems that most people have. Right. So. And, and you know, you're the only one in your family with type 1 diabetes, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, you know. And, and what does your doctor think of all of this? All of my endocrinologists, the long chain of endocrinologists that I've visited have been completely opposed uh, to every step I've taken. They've told, they've pushed me backwards. Even, even, with, even with the evidence staring them in the face? Yes. I've been told by several endocrinologists that I need to maintain higher blood sugars and higher glycosylate hemoglobin. And I think that's largely because the conventional mantra in, in, in medicine is that we have to have glucose. Is, you know, I mean, 99.9% people of, in our culture are, are depending on glucose as their primary source of fuel, but it's not as though that is the only choice that the human body and brain have. And uh, just simply because it's common doesn't mean that it's essential. <laughs> and, and that's the part that gets missed. Um, there are doctors that do know this, but unfortunately, it's not conventionally taught that way. We can make all of, we can feed all of our glucose pathways through ketones. All of them. We do not need carbohydrate. Yeah. Well, or and that. Yeah, yeah, literally, the only macronutrient for which there is literally no human dietary requirement is carbohydrate. We can make all the glucose we need from that combination of protein and fat in the diet. Well, Dana, wow, uh, I can't thank you enough for your willingness to come on this show and, and share your remarkable story. I wish we had, you know, at, at least two hours to, to get into all of this. Um, I have little doubt you have inspired uh, quite a few people out there to think differently about the way they eat and what this can mean for their health. So thank you so much. Thank you, Nora. Oh, you are, you are more than welcome. 
And, you know, Colleen, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today and, and helping to educate us about this condition as well as sharing your own story. I understand, too, you've, you've cut your insulin uh, needs by, by a good third. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not much above, um, above Dana. Wow. Just a little bit, just because I'm probably not injecting quite as often. Yeah. But I do, if we have one second, um, we didn't get into some of the specific, some of the other specific nutritional support, but a book by Dr. Richard Bernstein is the Bible for the type 1 diabetic and the people that they live with. You are right about that, yeah. Okay, that's, that's Yep, Dr. Richard Bernstein, his, his website again is uh, diabetes-solution.net. Uh, definitely check his stuff out. He has, he's as close, uh, as a conventional physician comes, I think, to what we're talking about here. And, um, I'm sure, of course, it's no mystery to anybody, uh, listening, um, today, uh, Colleen, as to why I think you're one of the best educators around the field of diet and health and, and in I would like to thank my sponsors, the EEG Institute, offering the most trusted and respected source of information and training for neurofeedback, truly world leaders in the field. You can reach the EEG Institute at www.eeginfo.com or at 818-456-5965. I would also like to thank the Nutritional Therapy Association, the NTA, for their generous sponsorship. The NTA is the best, most trustworthy and reliable source of foundational nutritional education and nutritional therapist training here in the U.S. and possibly the known universe. I just can't say enough good things about this organization. You can find the Nutritional Therapy Association at www.nutritionaltherapy.com or you can call 1-800-918-9798. That's 1-800-918-9798. Tell Marcy Nora sent you. Thanks, too, to Biotics Northwest, the source for exceptional healthcare practitioner quality supplements for every health professional. You can reach them at www.bioticsnorthwest.com or at 1-800-636-6913. Also, be sure to visit my website at wwwprimalbody primalmind.com, where you can also get my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Empower Your Health, Your Total Health, The Way Evolution Intended and Didn't. Thanks again for listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, hosted by Nora Gedgaudis. Come back for another great program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And have a great week.